Yo, yo! Welcome back to Legend of the Glorio Heroes, your number one with a bullet Legend of the Galactic Heroes <laughs> recap podcast. I don't think... Have we seen a single bullet in Legend of the Galactic Heroes so far? All exactly, been so ours is the first. It's the number one bullet. And we're here to discuss space politics and chew bubblegum. And I'm all out of gum. As always, I'm your gumless host, G. <laughs> And who better to do this podcast with me than my stalwart travel companion, Eero? I'm, <laughs> I'm the one with all the bubble gum, but I don't have any ass to kick. Ah, so, well, that's so, fine. So really, who better than us two as one duo? <laughs> yes. But uh, yeah, so uh, we might as well just get right into it. Yeah. Uh, this trio of episodes. I don't know if I call it interesting, actually. You know, I eh, usually say this is well, an interesting trio of episodes, but... <laughs> Interesting, I feel like, in perhaps a different way. Yeah, I almost feel like this is a uh, a good set yeah. of episodes. It's a good trio. It's a it's a decent set. I think this is Maybe, the first like set of episodes that has felt uh, like quote unquote filler for Legend of the I don't know if it's necessarily filler, but maybe just a little predictable. Maybe it feels well, like it's filler, as in any given. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like any sure. given lengthy show. We'll have episodes that... Sure. I mean, I don't know if I'd necessarily call it filler. I feel like these episodes do have plot-relevant stuff. Yeah. It's just, you know, compared to, you know, compared to, you know, bombs like the Earth Cult. <laughs> I feel like this right. trio of episodes is not necessarily as uh, as uh, exciting in that regard. But nonetheless, it's, kinda, yeah. it's our duty to discuss it. So, yeah. uh... Let's just get right into it. So this week, yes. Eero, why don't you uh, let yeah. our fans know what episodes covering, we're talking about. Uh, covering episodes 22, 23, tw- and 24. So it's 22, Courage and Loyalty. 23, Goldenbaum is felled. And 24, Whose Victory? Indeed. Whose Victory? Indeed. That's just one of the many questions we might discuss in this podcast. <laughs> I don't know. Check back in about an hour. I'll probably have forgotten that bit. So... <laughs> Let's roll into episode 22. We open yeah. up with uh, our friend Boris Konev on a Fazan ship. Uh, he has been intercepted by our other friend, Kirky Eyes, who is uh, patrolling space and, you know, doing good shit while blowing up rebels. You know? Right. Kirky so, Eyes. Yeah, they did mention uh, when we were first introduced to Boris Konev that Earth supposedly exists on the other side of the Empire. Indeed. Or something like that. And so. I guess they're just traveling through Empire space to get to Earth when they yeah. stumble upon Kirky Eyes. And, you know, Kirky Eyes being Kirky Eyes is like, all right, cool, you guys are free to go. And we get a, you know, we get a good line or perhaps a, a tragically foreboding line that <laughs> people as kind as Kirky Eyes do not live long in this kind of era. Yeah. You know, we'll, uh, this is just maybe the, the first of many of shall we say, these kind of lines related to conveniently all of the most morally good characters in this show. (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, I don't think Legend of the Galactic Heroes is necessarily cynical. It's certainly not as bitter and mean-spirited as, say, Game of Thrones can be sometimes about honor only gets you killed in the end. It's, It's never quite like that, but I think there's maybe a healthy bit of skepticism of how far you can go purely on the moral high ground mm-hmm. but yeah pretty minor points i think uh 
kind of, you know, basically this is just a, a little bit of the episode to be like, hey, what's Kirky Eyes up to? And Winning 60 battles for? in a row over the past, like, four months yeah, with, like, zero yeah. losses. I, I <laughs> begin to wonder if Kirky Eyes is the one that Yang actually needs to worry about. Mm. But uh, I, I feel like that would be an interesting fight, you know, just uh, two very honorable, just humanitarian generals going at it. But uh, yeah. at the same time, they would never want to fight like that, right? It would be a, a horrible waste of life, so it would never yeah, happen. They would uh, just all have some tea and then go their several ways. Indeed. But basically, the point of this little plotline is just, where's Kirky Eyes? And more specifically... Kirky Eyes is not how, with Reinhardt. <laughs> right, how far away from Reinhardt is he? And what does that mean for Reinhardt? Because that's maybe the meat of, of uh, our next couple of episodes. Yep. But anyways, we uh, go back to the um... ah yeah. So Royanthal, another one of Reinhardt's <laughs> you know many pretty commanders, uh, has retreated from the Shang Tao yeah. sector. Right. After a brief fight with Murkats. There's a really good line here where he's basically like, "I don't want to bother with this. I'll let Reinhardt do it." <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a there's a healthy let my boss handle this. Yes, a healthy degree of awareness in in Reinhardt's cabinet, so to speak, that I can appreciate. But, uh, yeah, so we basically get the idea that, you know, even if Mercats maybe isn't, you know, the fucking, you know, stone-cold, tactical, you know, super killer that is Reinhardt or Kirky Eyes, he is still, you know, he can still... Competent soldier. He's a competent, he's a competent leader, he can put up a fight, and as long as he has the resources and people pay attention to what he tells them to do, <laughs> he can... You know, at least fight on even ground. But unfortunately, he is aligned with the Lipstadt League, where yep. listening to people who know much better than you do seems to be in not in style right now. Dreadfully short supply. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, so we have, nobody uh, wants to listen to more cats. No, because uh, Littenheim uh, has this bright idea right. that he's going to take basically like half their fleet and go fight Kirky Eyes because that's how they're going to win the rebellion apparently. Yeah, clearly. Once again, you just kind of feel for poor Murkats here. He's just like, God, he's the like, fucking, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? The shit I have to deal with. Uh, like, here's oh the thing, right? We don't ever think Murkats could have seriously won this whole rebellion, but no. I, based on the kind of man, based on the kind of vibe I get from Murkats is... I think Murkats could have fought a long enough and hard enough war of rebellion that it would maybe force Reinhard to take more losses than he'd like to. Yeah. But he's at least that competent. You know, he's a but but when you know, when Murkats is surrounded by idiots. Right. It, it's it's that thing of like we were talking about, man, if only Yang was in power, then he wouldn't have to deal with all these idiots. <laughs> but turns out that if you're still in power, if you're surrounded by nothing but idiots, it's still equally hard to get anything yep. done. Indeed. So uh, Littenheim takes his like 50,000 ships or whatever out yes. to battle Kirky Eyes. His, his logic is I have 50,000 ships. They have 40,000 ships. Clearly, I'm going to win. 
Right, because five minus four is one, and <laughs> as you know, not like that wouldn't be horrible odds to work with in a war. Not like it wouldn't be horrible to return to your general and be like, "Don't worry, my five guys killed their four guys." By the way, I'm the only one left. It it, it, it it's almost cartoonishly stupid, but yeah. spoilers: Kirky eyes blows Littenheim the fuck out. Yeah, Littenheim tries to retreat from the battlefield. As, as he's losing and uh, orders, he sees his own supply line in the way and orders yeah. his troops to fire on his own supply line to get yes. them out of the way. Because through his own people is the quickest way out for him. And look, I, I've played a lot of strategy games in my time. I've read up a lot on military history. I would never say... I'm some kind of tactical strategic genius, but I think somewhere in my first five commandments of basic tactics, maybe I would write, I would write down, don't shoot your own dudes. Like seriously, don't shoot your own dudes. It's a really bad idea. Uh, yeah. I might, I might uh, go so far as to say that's top three rather than top five. Maybe, maybe. Yes. Yes. I mean, it's maybe only behind shoot at those dudes instead. <laughs> but unfortunately, Littenheim uh, was uh, apparently sleeping through class that day. And we got this because... amazing, hilarious scene of, like, <laughs> poor, innocent Empire soldiers looking at photos of their families. Oh, man, like it's that. so good. It's so over the... It's almost... I mean... Look, we've watched enough media to know, of course, they're doing this on purpose, but also, I know, come on, guys, don't show your fucking family photos to people. But, uh, unfortunately, so funny. he does, and the supply fleet is almost completely decimated. However, perhaps this uh, can work out in Kirky Eyes' favor, because the, uh, the few survivors of uh, Littenheim's fleet... Yeah, you know, basically go up to Kirky Eyes and be like, "Hey, uh, we're teaming with you guys now because he uh, shot at us. Fuck that dude. Yeah, seriously. Um, we have a good line here. I believe it's uh, dropped I by asked. one uh, Conrad von Moner, Conrad. Uh, one of the dudes Wait. from the supply fleet. Okay, yeah, I'm getting or, the two or is it Conrad Linzer? No, 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 no. Conrad right. mixed up. Right, right. Yes, there are two Conrads in that scene. I believe. Uh, the young one is Moner, the older one is a Linzer. Yes, uh, I think Linzer is the one who says, when when questioned about his loyalty to Littenheim, says the loyalty is a beautiful word that's abused whenever it becomes convenient. Yes, yes. It, it really, once again, begins to really remind you that the Empire has kind of operated on this really fallacious rhetoric for centuries now of, oh the greatest honor you know the great the honor is found in obeying your superiors you know to the bitter uh, end that's what true loyalty and honor is and it's like man get the fuck out of that shit yeah. <laughs> not when you're shooting your own dudes uh, yeah it, yep uh yeah so anyways you know lidheim comes back and you know braunschweig's fucking losing it Murkatz is losing it even more, you know, he's like, it's almost as if... you guys just let this happen! Right. And then, as if things could not get any worse, Flegel and some of his cronies are like, well, clearly, we need to go out there and uh, take the fight to them. 
You know, because uh, Murkats, you 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 fought them and you won the fight, right? They they even retreated. They ran away from you. Clearly, they're weak. We can take them. And Murkats <laughs> like, no, you idiot. That's obviously that's obviously a trap. <laughs> and you know, unfortunately, again, uh, for all talks of loyalty, loyalty in surprisingly short supply in the Lipstot League. Indeed, because Flagel and his cronies take their fleets out to go battle it out. Against, uh, is it Reinhardt or is it, like, I, I know Reinhardt shows up later, I think, but. Um, I think it's just, like, his squad that's right, all yes. up in there. Like, Mittermeier's definitely there. Uh. Oh, yes, yes, this is where, uh, Mittermeier, Kessler comes back and Mecklinger are the, uh, the three fleets. Right. I think Bittenfield yeah. also shows, shows up. Uh, yes, yes. Okay, so yes, now now I remember, yes. So, basically... The B team. <laughs> yes. So, basically, this whole bit here is kind of... I'd like to believe is maybe Tanaka's intentional jab at Imperial Japanese hubris. You know, all of this, like... I mean, they literally shout Banzai. I mean, yes, I know that's also a Japanese word, but within the context of this scene where they're like, Oh, we got spirit, we have honor, we're gonna... We're going to go beat up Reinhardt because we want it harder than they do because that's apparently how that works. Yeah. And, you know. <laughs> you know. Empire she, Bonsai. Yeah. Charge yeah, right exactly. in. Yes. So they do. And, you know. <laughs> and Mittermeier <sighs> says, it's not that I was expecting Yangwen Lee. I right. prefer to fight a more worthy opponent. Right, right. Mittermeier's essentially like, how could anybody fall for such a dumbass plan? Like, this is the most obvious trap in the world. I can't believe you guys fell for it. But they did. Yep. And, uh, Except for what Admiral Fahrenheit gets managed to like, be yes, like, this Fahrenheit. is probably a trap. Yes, Fahrenheit, the man with the cl- you know the clipboard for the Lipstyle League, is like, uh-uh, we're getting out of here. Right. And... So, and- Blair and Flagel's like, that guy's leaving, I guess I'll leave too, because I'm yeah. a moron who can't think for myself. Yeah, and I just got lucky. Uh, yeah, essentially, yes. Yes. But, uh... But yeah, I mean, I guess that's a thing with this episode, right? Um, does it end with that? Or, I forget if there was Mer- more Mer- after Mer- that. kind of comes to the rescue, uh, yes, quote-unquote, yes, yes. and uh, manages to rescue Braunschweig out of the... Yes. Uh, Thing right, because Murkatz specifically decided to stay, or was told to stay in the rear to yes. protect the... Yes. And uh, over the credits, Murkatz speaks to his aide about how... Uh, it's about what he expected of Braunschweig. Right, and how... Oh, get so mad. He's yeah. ill. He's ill with an illness bred from 500 years of privilege for the nobility. Yes. Yes, it's a very <laughs> good line. And I think... Kind of gets the core of what this episode basically is. It's just the Lipstadt League are these nobles who are just so detached from reality. They're so detached right. from like anything, really. Like, like these are human beings who maybe completely unironically are running purely on just delusion and rhetoric. Like they have yep. lived their entire lives in these privileged positions that they cannot even begin to imagine the concept of losing battles. Because 
we're the privileged ones. We're the special class. We're the elites. We always we, win. We always win. We always right. Like it's our nature to win. Like hey, we why why how could we lose to Reinhardt? He's of lower birth than us. Like I can't even begin to imagine it. And you know it's yeah. it's it's something <laughs> it's, all right. It's it's right on the like edge of too cartoonishly evil, but then also considering recent events. Almost believable, yes. 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 Just the ability of privilege and entitlement to completely cloud your ability to think rationally. But, I don't know, in some ways, like, I also feel like this episode is, you know, it's not bad or anything, but the grand... We knew knew that Reinhardt and his team would take down the league. And, like, the fact that this isn't even the... Or I guess it's more like the fact that this isn't even the destruction of the League yet. It's just another major loss in in the war for them. Mm -hmm. Is, like... You know, obviously I'm not saying it's irrelevant. You know, we need to see the Lipstadt League repeatedly losing, but... I think the stuff that happens this episode does help build up to some of the stuff that happens next episode. I think... I guess you're right, yeah. Specifically, like, Mercats. What with Mercats? Um... At the, well, we'll get to it at the end of next episode. Uh, his decision at the end of the Lipstyle League. Oh, oh, that's what you're talking about. I thought I, I thought you had a more relevant point to. Oh no. <laughs> to like Mercats or, or something. Sorry. <laughs> okay. I, I thought you were like I thought you were about to like make a really good point about Mercats, other than the stuff that happens at the end of right. Like so. I mean, he's this episode is all about him like being confronted with the like garbage of the empire and having to deal with it. So it oh, make, yeah, totally, makes totally. this decision next episode make more sense. Sure. Okay. Yes. That point. Yes. Now that's I, what I meant. I, that was what I, I meant to communicate. You, going with this. Yes. Okay. I get it now. Yes. I, I see what you mean. Yes. I, I guess in, in that sense, yes, this episode is necessary to help build up to the decisions and the actions of characters in the next episode, which I think is, uh, more relevant to the to the wider plot than this right. one, so we might as well just roll right into yeah, it. This is like starting to get into the final battles of the uh, Whoopstot uh, yes. incident. So we are talking about episode twenty three. Golden Baum is felled. Spoilers. Yes. So the episode opens up with a montage of people in Braunschweig's uh, territories rising up and rebelling yeah. against the nobles. Planet of Westerland. Uh, Yes, uh, Braunschweig's nephew gets uh, killed in the rebellion, and when Braunschweig hears this, he coolly, calmly <laughs> makes the rational choice that the only possible response one could make to this news is to launch a nuke at his own planet. And nukes are outlawed, according to random soldier man who says that... Uh, Sometime in the past was a 13-day war of nuclear weapons that nearly exterminated the human race. And they've Indeed. since been outlawed. And, uh... Not that he cares. No, I no. I anything I want to my own planet, including yes. kill all the civilians with nuclear right. weapons. It's, you know... Remember last episode when I said that maybe... You know, number three or four on my list of tactical commandments would be don't shoot your own guys. I feel like don't nuke your own guys is a subsection of one of those commandments because it's frankly not a very smart thing to do. 
even under the best of circumstances. Indeed. But no, so, you know, Braunschweig makes the order, and poor Ansbach is uh, kind of just forced to, to carry through with this. And Yep. Kind of, we kind of see him complaining about, you know, uh, oh, I don't know, nuking your own people, which is uh, when we find out that another officer known as uh, Hauptmann, yep. it is a fucking narc. He's just telling off, oh, how dare Ansbach say that the Goldenbaum dynasty is dumb for nuking its own civilians. Yeah, how dare he? And so, you know, Braunschweig has uh, Ansbach imprisoned, kind of just mm-hmm. further isolating Braunschweig from anyone rational who could tell him to, you know, don't cool nuke it. your own people. But, and uh, uh, more importantly to uh, probably the show at large is yes. Reinhardt's reaction to this news. Uh, Reinhardt yes. does not really okay with civilians being nuked. Uh, Oberstein, however, is, is very saying, okay. Well... Yeah, you know, yeah, yes. Overstein is extremely okay with this. He's his his uh rationale is basically let them do this incredibly stupid thing, this terrible harmful thing, because it's a bad idea, and PR will shift against them, and it will legitimize your cause more yes. than you'll be any Reinhardt. You'll be Reinhardt the hero. <laughs> Even more so after you defeat these guys who fire upon their own men. And if this plan sounds suspiciously familiar, (laughs) that's because (laughs) over at the FPA, one Shenkop basically suggested the same thing to Yang. And I think this scene, I think this scene specifically, contrasted with that one, more than anything else is, I believe, at least for me personally, the definitive... So like far, the, yeah. the the definitive statement on the difference between Yang Wenli and Reinhard, right? And who they are, like fundamentally as people, because Reinhard basically debates with Oberstein about this. You know, he's saying, "Hey, think, you know, like, these are the reasons we shouldn't do this." I don't right, think you know, quite right. Needs of the many versus needs of the few. Human lives can't be calculated like that. But really, even though Reinhard vocally opposes this the fact of the matter is that he still weighs the options and and by the end of the debate he defers taking a side he defers making decisions he he defers for making taking action in fact he says oberstein leave me be i'm going to uh i will decide at the last minute you know i will decide later Uh, we're going to table this for now and i don't know if you ask me this is if you ask me, this is who Reinhardt is. Reinhardt can make all these claims about how he is going to make the, the system better, about how he's going to fix the system, about how the Empire will no longer commit such horrible acts as these. But, but. when push comes to shove, when someone like Oberstein suggests something that, yes, maybe quote-unquote objectively benefits him, but is horribly selfish and horribly morally Just, unethical yeah like I, I you know i'm not gonna get into the old like you know moral philosophy of this shit but if you know that they're going to be nuked and then you did not take actions to stop it 
because because not doing so would benefit you later. Like, I'm sorry, my dude. That we generally consider that evil. We generally call that evil. It's not a not cool. No, and and here's the thing. You know, later in the episode, they kind of try to wash Reinhardt's hands of it, but at the end of the day, the fact of the matter is he did not say no to Oberstein. And I think that is the difference between him and Reinhardt and Yang. Like, when Shenkop suggested this to Yang, Yang doesn't even, like, weigh it for a moment. Yang doesn't, like, pause and consider. Yang just immediately says to Shenkop, no, we're not doing that. Yep. I will not carry out that plan. I, yeah. Like. Like, is democracy so fragile? Yeah. I don't want to hear any more about this, basically. Yeah. He, he basically refuses to hear out Shenkop any further. And you know, and to, Shen, to Shenkop's credit, he also, like, is like, ah, I serve a good man. Yeah, basically. but I think that also, but yes, I think that also establishes a good contrast between, as we joked, you know, last podcast, that <laughs> Shenkop is like the Oberstein of Yang's team. But really, if you contrast Shenkop and Oberstein... When Shenkop gets told off, Shenkop's basically just like, okay, you know what, Yang, you're right. You know, we'll do this the right way. You know, you're my, you're my commander, and I'll follow your orders. And Oberstein, on the other hand, I mean, <laughs> fucking what Oberstein does on his shoulder. is, I mean, Oberstein. Oh, yeah, and undercuts the orders. Yeah. He basically just undercuts Reinhardt. Basically, Reinhardt is like, or I mean, yeah, because after Reinhardt says, leave me, I'll, I'll think about this. You said the nuke is going to come in six hours, right? And Oberstein's like, yes, six hours. Yeah, so here's my question. I'm, I was not 100% clear on this. Did Oberstein lie that it was going to be six hours, knowing... Like knowing that it was actually gonna be within four, because he does send the probes and makes like the camera probes and says they need to arrive within four hours, uh, and then they see the explosions and he's like, oh, sorry, Reinhardt, the attack was early. So my question is, did Oversign just straight up lie and say it was six hours to cause this to happen? I. You know, I guess that's a thing. It's it's hard to say without explicit confirmation one way or another. But the way Oberstein operates and the kind of person Oberstein is based on what we've seen so far, I don't know. It's I could see him doing it. Like like I don't want to just say oh he definitely set it up like that, but he had the entire oh. information. Like, yes, yes. I think Oberstein being Oberstein, it doesn't it doesn't feel in his character to make a mistake like that. I feel like Oberstein right. would not report six hours if, unless he was absolutely sure it was six hours. Because, right, I'm saying Oberstein's a lot of things, but incompetent. Saying, I don't yeah. think. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, so you're saying that he lied about it being six hours rather I guess than that's being a thing. mistaken. Well, Without them explicitly coming out and saying it, you know, it's hard to say for sure, but I would be willing to believe that. Yes, I would be willing to believe that Oberstein knew it was coming in four hours, said six hours to kind of get a probe on Reinhardt's reaction. And basically, you know, Oberstein lets Reinhardt's own indecision and lack of a definitive answer uh, do Oberstein's work for him, basically. Yeah, because I mean, if he does it that way, then 
one option is Reinhardt agrees that they should just let the citizens die and then there's no problem. Or right. Reinhardt doesn't agree and in such a case Oberstein set it up so they die anyway and they can benefit yes. from it. I I don't know, maybe they'll reveal that catch, later. I just feel catch like, twenty two. But I feel like that is entirely within Oberstein's capability yeah. based on what we've seen so far. And that's basically what he does. He you know, so, the nukes happen. I mean, yeah. Oberstein's like, sorry, boss. I I guess I wasn't quick enough. And here's the thing, right? I, the show could portray this as a tragedy for Reinhardt. Oh, poor Reinhardt. Poor, poor Reinhardt, who just couldn't get there in time to save them. But, but also, everything about Reinhardt has been the story of either him explicitly succeeding... Or outside circumstances allowing him to basically fail upward. Yeah. If that makes sense. I believe you said, uh, you mentioned... It's like, it's like we called back, like we mentioned the Young's conversation with Shenkop from a few episodes yes. ago. That began, before Shenkop started making suggestions, began with Young explaining that, right, like, the actual secret to Reinhardt's, uh... Like success is that he can con- const- like continuously set himself up to succeed from like every situation. Yes, in, in many so, ways like, that specific point I think is relevant throughout these episodes because it's like he set himself up to allow Overstein to make this decision totally. And here's the thing: Kirky Eyes doesn't know about any of this yet, and that's right because he was I sent off like, on his own to yeah. put down rebellion. And I think that that needs to be stated that Kirky Eyes was not here. This this is what happens if Reinhardt's only advisor is over. He doesn't have the angel on his shoulder, only right. the devil. And I think in some ways, I don't want to necessarily say Reinhardt is weak or, you know, weak-willed, but he is morally compromisable. He he can be made to be he can be swayed one way or another based on, you know, the strength of an argument. Yeah. Here's the thing. If Kirky Eyes were there, would Reinhardt have necessarily been like, no, F that, we go rescue them immediately? I'm not sure. I think, I think but, Kirky Eyes would have been able to convince him of that. But yes, but I think Kirky Eyes would have at least convinced him that, hey, we cannot we cannot do things like that. I'm saying, like, if, if both Kirky Eyes and Overstein were there, he would have sided with Kirky Eyes. Yes. And I think, personally, I feel like this is a foreboding sign of things to come. Yeah. Like, you know that in many ways, this plan is also Oberstein's way of, in some aspects, sowing discord between Kirky Eyes and Reinhardt as well. Because, yeah, up till now, the only real opposition Oberstein has had has been Kirky Eyes. You know, basically, Kirky Eyes popping up, be like, actually, we shouldn't do those morally <laughs> unethical things. And Reinhardt going, ah. Yeah, I guess you're, you're right. I guess you're right, Kirky Eyes. For some reason, me, the tactical strategic genius, hadn't thought of that yet. <laughs> and I guess in many ways, this all goes back to like, you know, all those conversations they've had before, you know, where Kirky Eyes is like, let the men rest, my lord. You know, they've they've been fighting nonstop and all that stuff. It's always Kirky Eyes who remembers the human elements of war and politics. And without him, they just become numbers. Yeah, because that's what they are to Oberstein. Yep. And it's, I I think Oberstein is going to like. I feel like this is the beginning of 
some stuff with Oberstein that I, I have a feeling is going to become very major as time goes on. Yeah. It's, it... Like, this is not the last time Oberstein has swayed Reinhardt to do something uh, highly morally unethical. Yep. And, uh, you get a bit with Kirky Eyes receiving this news. Yeah. And, like, it being brought up that how come those cameras were just in place to take those pictures of the yeah. nuking? It's almost as if the situation was set up to uh, to benefit as much as possible from it. And well, that's kind of all we get of it, though. We just kind of get this yeah. hint that there might be a reckoning coming. Uh, yep. Reinhardt uh, and Kirkyeyes are going to meet, and I think words will be had, and I think how Reinhardt responds to Kirkyeyes in many ways... Like, if in many ways, if this... If this episode is how does Reinhardt handle pressure? How does Reinhardt handle a a bad or not even a bad situation, but a tempting, like a morally unethical but tempting situation? Mm-hmm. Like how does Reinhardt how does Reinhardt operate behind closed doors? Then Kirkyeyes confronting Reinhardt will be a test of can Reinhardt still be made to feel guilt? Can he still be made to, right. be, to confront his actions? Or, or are we going to get something where Reinhardt pulls rank, where essentially he's like, okay, Kirky Eyes, but also I outrank you. I'm your commander. I'm your lord. I made my choice, and that's that. Yeah, I mean, that's one of these things is going to happen soon. Yeah, I, I feel like I don't ever think Kirky Eyes would ever betray Reinhardt. I don't think Kirky Eyes will ever, like, turn his back on Reinhardt, but... I think Reinhardt might turn his back on Kirky Eyes. Yes, I could, and... Man, like I know. Ugh. Like uh, this show has already operated on such tragedies, but for that yeah. to happen could potentially be one of the most heartbreaking things in this entire show. Ugh. But, but meanwhile, you know, Braunschweig's just partying. Yeah. Meanwhile, Braunschweig is fucking partying it up, getting drunk yep. with the like even six though, nobles left. Yep. Even though Geiersberg's cut off from supplies and. Most of the nobles outside of Geiersberg have either killed themselves, have been captured, or just turned coat. Um, yeah, you have <laughs> some excellent partying. Yeah, you have some excellent visuals here, where like we have repeatedly been shown the like main hall. Oh, yes, that's right. Of the Lipstadt League, yeah. Episode, and it's just <laughs> it's fucking just, empty this week. Yeah, or it's this been dwindling. Like. Before like, it was literally packed, you know, from front to back. And now room only now there's like twelve dudes. Yeah, there's like twelve dudes crowded around Braunschweig, and fucking everybody else is just kind of like drinking wine in the corner in the shadows, just thinking, "All right, man, this is we can't fucking do this shit anymore. We gotta how how are we getting out of this situation?" Basically, yeah, you know, yeah. nobles being nobles, scheming and shit, but. Basically, the nobles get drunk, and Braunschweig becomes convinced that, you know what? We're nobles. We're the privileged class. <laughs> Let's just get out there and fight them in one big battle. All we'll we gotta do is kill Reinhardt. It'll be great. Yeah. Uh... And if it isn't, then we'll die like nobles. We'll die with great honor. And so, all the nobles fucking pile into their fucking ships. Yep. And go out in one final stupid all-in-one plan. It's like 
ridiculous suicide charge. Yes. And uh, Flagel finally eats it. Yeah, Flagel finally gets his quote-unquote noble death. Yep. Um, very funny when when Flagel finally realizes that, oh, I'm going to die here, is like, wait, wait, I know. Send a direct communication to Reinhard. We'll duel one-on-one. <laughs> and when Reinhard does not respond, he's like, uh, all right. Uh, try Mecklinger or Kessler, anybody, anybody. Yeah, try Mecklinger, Royenthal, Benfield. And uh, in a fall, and fall, it ex- fall gloriously in combat. Yes, and in an increasingly common occurrence in the Empire, uh, gets shot by his own men. Yes. Where uh, they kind of have so his was good. This like the third or fourth time this has happened. Yeah, yeah. It's a uh, again an increasingly common occurrence in the. Uh, <laughs> The dying embers of the Golden Bomb Dynasty. Uh, yeah, his and, men uh, are all like, I guess let's go to Fezzan. Yeah, we'll all become farmers or something. <laughs> yeah, kind of a like weird, like big bossish vibe where the other dudes are like, we'll follow you anywhere, Commander, or like second in <laughs> command guy. <laughs> but uh, we'll start our own country where yeah. soldiers will be free. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, but yes, yeah, so we finally turned back to Murkatz. That's right. Murkatz, uh... Got a gun to his head. Yeah, he's, uh, kind of seen this all fall apart, and yes, he's got a gun to his head when, um... Schneider. Schneider, yes, uh, uh <laughs> Schneider. number two. Yes, his adjutant is like, don't even bother, I took the batteries out. And, <laughs> and Murkatz's like, damn, you're a good adjutant, here's my gun. And then fucking Schneider takes the gun and then takes the battery sounds like, nah, I was lying, but... <laughs> right. Burkett's, like, after Burkett hands him the gun, he's yeah. like, he's like, but wait, when did you possibly find the time to get at my sidearm? He's like, I didn't. I just, I just bluffed. Schneider seems like a pretty cool guy. Schneider seems like an alright dude, like... You know, uh, pervasive theme in Legend of the Galactic Heroes of... I feel like number two, right? Like I feel like a common trend in the best commanders, the best leaders in Legend of the Galactic Heroes, is not that they are only good people or good leaders, but also that like surround they, themselves with good people. Yes, yes. And Schneider, Schneider. You know, we don't get a lot of him, but he seems like good people. Um, especially when he, you know, just basically begs Murkatz to not kill himself. Like Murkatz, this is not your time. Like. Fuck all this shit. Fuck this honor shit. Fuck this duty. Like you, you gave your best to the Lipstyle League, and they spat on it. It is, you know, you do not deserve to die in a place like this. How and about we go to the Free Planets Alliance? Exactly, because I've heard that the uh, <laughs> one of their uh, one of their admirals, Yang Wen Li, is an eccentric but generous person. You'll hear us <laughs> out, surely. Surely, and, uh, yeah, yeah. So, Mark, Mark goes with it. Uh, to the FBA, kind of one of the bigger, um, unexpected. You know, yeah, kind of. I guess kind of twists of this episode. Yes, is that uh, Murkatz will be defecting to the FBA. I feel like this is kind of, kind of. I don't know if it's actually going to be big in the long run, but right. I feel like we actually have not gotten that much turn coding in Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Yeah. You know, you have the bit with, like, you know, fucking uh, Admiral Lynch, but, like, that was always, right. you know, a plan from the start. That was always going to be a, a plot against the FBA, but actual genuine defectors. Right. I know, mean, I guess, like, the Rosen Ritter. Right. The Rosen Ritter are kind of, like, the one example of it, but, you know, beyond that, 
surprisingly not as common as you might think, but uh, but yeah, so yep. and, we will uh, see where that goes. Meanwhile, Braunschweig still hanging out in his freaking throne room. And... Yeah, Braunschweig is pathetically losing it, you know. Uh, uh, yep. We but, get uh... Ansbach, you know, freed from his uh, prison. <clears throat> and Ansbach's basically like... Or, you know what, man, I feel like, speaking of competent number twos, I feel like Ansbacher <laughs> is a similar situation where he is too good for Braunschweig, because... Just about anyone's too good for Braunschweig. I mean, yes, yes, but... What is it, Braunschweig's basically like, oh my god, I, they're coming for me, they're gonna execute me, and Ansbach's like, yes they are, you know, my liege, there's only yep. one way out of this, it's, uh, it's suicide. <laughs> you know, you're just gonna have to kill yourself with grace and dignity, because... Whatever they subject to you, they capture you alive is going to be far worse. By the way, I prepared this poison before I suggested this. <laughs> yes, here's the poison wine, which in some ways, look, I'm, obviously Braunschweig deserves this, but yes. I have to say, hell of a number two to know <laughs> that, you know, you're up against the wall and your only way out is death and to have been so well prepared for this to be like, here you go. Like, I already prepared it for you. Like, you can see it, like, the dude holding it off to the side for, like, a minute before. Yes. It's very good. But, uh, but yeah, so then, Braunschweig's actually, you know, can't even go through with that. Can't even nope. go through with killing Just himself. Gotta hold him up and yeah. ram it down his throat. Beg, begs for his life. Begs Ansbach to let him go. That he'll give him all of his property. Blah, blah, blah. And, uh, just like, uh, what's her name? Um, it's been too long. <laughs> it was like Countess Benamunde. Yeah, yeah, Benamunde, just like Benamunde, just kind of dies this very, I mean, very over the top, very death. melodramatic, but also very pathetic death. You know, just force yep. fed poison. Uh, but he does uh, ask Ansbach to make sure he takes down Reinhardt one day. Yes, and Ansbach yes. swears that he will. And again, just Ansbach is too fucking good for you, Braunschweig. Like. <laughs> Oddsbach has fucking no reason to 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 live up, you know, to, to make good on your promise. But also, yeah. based on what little we've seen of Oddsbach, I feel like he's also the kind of guy who would actually make good on that. So, yeah, you know, we'll see where that goes. Uh, uh, yeah, and uh, uh, Reinhardt's squad takes over Geiersberg Fortress, and the Lipstadt League has been put, put down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's kind of the end of episode 23. You know, it's... Uh, End of the Empire's coup yeah. arc. In many ways, it kind of feels like... I, I guess it's a thing, right? In many ways, this episode felt like... Or this and the prior episode kind of... The reason why I felt like they were just, you know... What's the word? Kind of just going through the motions is because, you know, obviously this was going to happen. And, you know, as we see with the FPA's own, you know, victory over, you know, the rebels, <laughs> it goes by much quicker because there's kind of this already resigned acknowledgement that, eh, we were always going to win, you know? But Young, Young can do it. <laughs> of course. Well, that's what I mean. If Young could do it, then Reinhard most certainly could have in, and, 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 you know, far fewer episodes than we did. But, you know, there were some important stuff there, you know, especially with like the Oberstein Reinhard stuff. You know, yeah. uh, kind of not to go off on too much of a tangent here, but you did write a me, line in your notes. Yes, <laughs> yes. Told me to remind you of. Yes, and I mean the reason I'm bringing it now is because I wrote it down at the very bottom of my episode 23 notes. That's right. <laughs> so Yoshiki Tanaka wrote Legend of the Galactic Heroes in what was the late 70s. 
yeah, the late seventies, early eighties. Early eighties, my bad. Early eighties, and you know, it came it came out in the early in like 82, 83. Yes, 82, 83 but yes. I think he said like part of it had been sitting in the trunk for a few years. For like years, yeah. So this almost lines up perfectly with the time period then, because whether intentional or not, I begin to wonder if. Oberstein as a character is meant to be Yoshiki Tanaka's own wrestling with the real life figure of Henry Kissinger, who, if you're not familiar with, was uh, not only Secretary of State, but also, I believe, Secretary of Defense for both Nixon and Jimmy Carter. Um, he was a, shall we say, controversial Cold War politician. Mm. Um you know, to give you an idea, if you're not super familiar, um, on one hand, he won a Nobel Peace Prize that perhaps, arguably, he did not deserve, which maybe hints at my own feelings on the matter of Henry Kissinger. <laughs> there are other people, including many historians and academics, who would say that Henry Kissinger is a war criminal and is only alive today because he is a, an American war criminal, had he been had any of the acts he committed been in the name of any other nation on this planet, the man would either be rotting in a prison or buried six feet under. Yeah. Again, like when he won the Nobel Peace Prize, people of the, on the Nobel Committee resigned in protest. Yes. Uh, he is a controversial figure, but perhaps more notably specifically related to Oberstein is that Kissinger practiced the political theory of real politic the one spelled with a K. And for those not familiar, real politic essentially argues that actual politics, actual leadership, actual governance of a nation actually hinges more on conditional and contextual uh, needs and requirements of the given moments. And that things like rhetoric, ideology are ethics. secondary at best or and ethics. Yes. Especially ethics <laughs> for Kissinger are secondary at best. And in fact, do not need to be considered when making decisions at the national level. And so long story short, realpolitik is basically, you know, the kind of logical conclusion of, you know, Machiavelli's own, you know, treaties on politics and governance. Uh, you know, you when, know. when uh, Oberstein is talking to uh, Reinhardt, Reinhardt even says, like, that's Machiavelli's principles. Yes, yes. It's, it's this idea that, you know... Real politic is the logical conclusion of the ends justify the means. That any action, no matter how unethical, no matter how dubious, is entirely reasonable and in fact even encouraged if it results in tangible benefits. The immediate yes, if it results in immediately tangible benefits. And in case this all sounds like someone we know in Legend of the Galactic <laughs> uh, Heroes, we're talking about Oberstein, uh, who, for all right. we know, probably read both Kissinger and Machiavelli's books on the matter. So, <laughs> not, not to say that like he was direct, like not to say that Oberstein was meant to be like, allegorical. Uh, no, certainly not. There, there's a difference between allegory and applicability. Uh, definitely. I definitely don't want to just say, oh, Oberstein equals Kissinger, even though that's what it says in my notes. <laughs> that's just shorthand, all right? I don't actually believe that. But because of the way it's written, because Legend of the Galactic Heroes is so much about history and why certain things happen in history, why certain things repeat in history, why do certain trends yeah. come up again and again, 
because of the time period it was written, I do think there's maybe some merit anyways to the right. idea that Oberstein is, he was created, you know, here's the thing, characters and works are not created in a vacuum. Yeah. You know, they are created from their, well, creators' own experiences and ideas yeah. and beliefs. Yeah. The things in Legend of Black Heroes would have been relatable that at, at the time because of stuff like that was going on in the past of that time and the present of that time. And that's why it's still relevant today as well. Yeah. Even to things that are happening right now. Right. But uh, yeah, so anyways, enough with that. Ta- oh, you know what? Okay, one last thing because I just have to say it out loud so people don't correct me in the comments. I realize I said he was um, was it Secretary of the State and Defense and all that stuff for Nixon and uh, Carter. I meant Nixon and Ford. I forgot. Ford came in between Nixon and Carter. Sorry to all you General Ford. Uh, <laughs> General. So to you, Gerald Ford stands out there. I just personally think he's kind of a forgettable president. Anyways, <laughs> with that taken care of, hopefully that does not open up and open up another can of worms. Oh boy! Let's move on to episode twenty-four, where yeah. we return back to the FPA. Um, yeah. Name of this episode and again, Eero, was uh, "Whose Victory?" Question yes, "Whose Victory?" Indeed, because yeah. uh, uh, we return to the FPA, where the Yon has just been putting down yes. all of the uh, side fleets, I guess. Yeah, yeah, basically just been... Rallying basically all those episodes we around. saw of Reinhardt beating the shit out of the Lipstadt League, we can only assume Yang was doing the same, but feeling way worse about it because yeah. Yang is a good and decent person. Gathering support against the coup d'etat. Yeah, and, you know, basically the National Salvation Military Council, hey, I remember the name, is <laughs> cornered on Heinesen. But and they're like, well, we still got the Artemis necklace. But for those of you who remember yeah. uh, that episode, Man. all those weeks ago, <laughs> Artemis necklace. Kirk eyes took out the the like pseudo Artemis necklace pretty easily. Yeah, Artemis and, necklace, uh, not the uh, ace in the hole we all think it might be. Even Yang Wenli is like, eh, Artemis necklace isn't really that much of a problem. Yes, yes. And in general. I like to believe that everything here Young does in this episode is, as we might say, a very Young-like solution. <laughs> like Young argues that it's better to, to uh, destroy the Artemis Necklace because that means that will, that will demoralize you know, the uh, coup forces. Right. And, not only will uh, it demoralize the coup forces, but there will be no casualties, which is right. perhaps even more important to our right. friend Young. Demoralize them and cause them to surrender without without fighting and dying. Right. Because. Yon could probably theoretically get past it or not destroy them all and just land on the planet, but then he might have to deal with rebel forces and fighting on the ground could cause even more civilian casualties. Point is, destroying the Artemis Necklace, according to Yang, is the quickest and most efficient way to not only defeat the coup, but keep casualties to a minimum. And he also and, orders uh, Turncoat Bagdashu to yes. uh, get on that screen and announce that... The coup d'etat was actually a plot by Reinhard von Lohengram of the Empire. Yes. And even though Yang doesn't have proof, he kind of knows, knows it score. so deep in his bones. Right. He knows the score so well that he can basically bluff accusing Reinhardt of this and knows that he's probably 90% correct. And uh, yeah. turns out he is. And kind of uh, rocks... Thing is, a little, like, him not having hard evidence does is like kind of an interesting uh, contrast with Reinhardt's like handling of basically propaganda with the nuke stuff. Yes. I guess 
because that was like an engineered situation basically by Overstein. But like yeah. Young Young's basically I mean, we we all know it was Reinhardt, but for all intents and purposes, he's kind of just lying. I yeah, mean, I mean, Young is bluffing essentially. He's yeah. but but he's making a bluff from a very informed perspective. Yes, I mean, from Young's perspective, the coup happened so quickly and so effectively, I mean, conveniently, was, right after that prisoner exchange. Right. Yeah. That you know, because here's the thing: they knew shit was going bad. Everybody could tell after the Battle of Armlitzer that the FPA was in a really weak position. Yeah. But what I'm saying is that while this will probably turn public opinion against the coup very quickly. I don't think it will stick around as goodwill for Yang afterwards. No, no. Yes, essentially... In the same way, in the same way that Reinhardt's propaganda right. will. And I think many of that is because Yang did not listen to Shenkop. He didn't, he didn't play along with Shenkop's idea of, right. you know, wait a little bit longer, wait for the, you know, the coup to make more mistakes, and then swoop in and be the hero. Mm-hmm. And, but also that's in Young's nature because for every you know as we saw with uh, the episode with Jessica and the riot, for every extra day that Young waits, you know to uh, to stop the coup, more people suffer. More, yeah, more innocent people are going to suffer, and Yang Wen Li just ethically cannot abide by that. Yeah. And so Indeed. we return to the NSMC headquarters where right. after they get the news. And they're like, wait, what? That's unbelievable. How dare Young say such lies? Meanwhile, they always forget about their friend drinking in the corner, former Vice Admiral Lynch, who just fucking... (laughs) Throws out his, like, pamphlet of, oh no, he's totally right. Yeah, here. Here it is. Here's my, my, like, written evidence uh, that this was all actually a scheme by... Reinhard Waldo and Grom. You and, uh, all fell for it like the stupid puppets you are. <laughs> you goddamn dumbasses. Uh, and uh, to cut back to uh, Yang's plan to uh, take down the Artemis necklace, turns out that Yang was uh, exploring the depths of Zebes because he got his hands on the ice missile upgrade. <laughs> and uh, his plan to defeat the Artemis necklace essentially boils down to, rock- to attaching rocket boosters to giant blocks of ice and then just ramming them into the Artemis necklace faster than they can react because Isaac Newton is the deadliest son of a bitch in space <laughs> and basically just lets the ice blocks build up enough sheer momentum to just smash into the Artemis necklace <laughs> yeah. Appar- apparently we all calculate the trajectories so that there would be no debris raining down <laughs> Upon Heinison, but don't worry, Yang calcul. You know, Yang considers all the angles. So he does say this was based off of uh, the uh, the tradition of FPA founder Ale Heinison, who I guess uh, they escaped the empire in ship spaceships made out of ice. Yes, yes, they did mention that. Which do you want me to elaborate any on that? Because what the what little I did read of the first novel. Uh, before deciding, I, mean, I should stop to uh, detail this. Oh, you know what? Okay, I have some questions about how they made spaceships out of ice. Yeah. So, so I guess the know, idea was, brief, oh, you know, overview of it. I guess the idea was a bunch of slaves were work were like ice mining on some uh, like extremely cold asteroid. 
Sure. And uh, <clears throat> Ollie Heineson was like, you know, this really, really giant chunk of ice won't won't sublimate, won't melt or anything in the vacuum of space. So we, if we just carve out the inside and strap some rockets to it, uh, we can fly away and then like harvest raw materials on the way until we're far enough away to uh, escape the Empire's clutches. And huh. so they did so they did that and it took like 60 years before they found a planet that they could land on. That's where they founded the FBA. That, huh. That plan is a lot dumber than I expected. <laughs> like, like, did they, I mean, I guess the thing is, like, if they brought in, like, engines and life support and all that stuff into the ice block, I guess that makes sense. Right. But also, like... Because the idea was also <laughs> was that it wouldn't show on, like, trackers and stuff. Sure, sure. That part, I, I, I kind of get that part, actually. That part makes the most sense of, oh, we disguise our ship as an iceberg so that, you know, they never even know to look out for it. It's more the, like, how you fit a ship, you know, the things that are required to make a ship run into an ice block. And then how do you make that ice block sustainable for 60 years? That I guess it was very large. Oh, like, it was a very large block of ice. Okay. Oh, yes. Like hundreds okay, of kilometers is, okay, in every sure. direction. Okay. All right. Fine. That explains it all. Yes. It was a very big block. Yes. <laughs> as, uh, you know, as the croc so eloquently stated in that one episode of Batman the Animated Series, <laughs> it was a really big rock. Uh times but, uh, but yeah so it works perfectly <laughs> Meanwhile, Shen, Shen Cop's like do we really need to destroy all of them and Young's like yeah just do it whatever just do it yeah it doesn't really matter I mean it really doesn't you know I remember all those episodes back when we were talking about oh man if the Artemis necklace can be beaten <laughs> that's right easily, uh, then... that's right we were so worried we were so worried about that like right, months like, ago oh, man. like oh, my oh God. no the FPA is probably super vulnerable then turns <laughs> out <laughs> Turns out the art of his necklace ain't fucking shit, actually. Oh, man. <laughs> so, yes, the they, they win. The, you know, Green Hill surrenders, but before he does... Or, you know, he actually... is he, I don't think he's even the one who verbally surrenders, because first he's like, actually, we gotta fucking deal with uh, this Lynch fellow over here. He, uh, he we, suggests that they should all surrender. Right, he uh, suggests that they surrender, but I don't think also, he actually... Also, he suggests that... We can't. We need to make sure there's no evidence that this was actually started by Lowen Graham. Yeah. And pulls gun. Everyone pulls guns on Admiral Lynch. Where g- fucking Greenhill shows he has the worst fucking aim of anybody in the FPA because he literally cannot hit Lynch from like six feet away. Meanwhile, Lynch apparently quite a good shot. Just gets him right between the eyes. Has a fucking headshot on Greenhill like it was fucking nothing, which. I don't know. Yep. Poor Frederica, I guess. That's really all I can really say about this. <laughs> yeah. They, uh, uh... Yeah, so they take away Lynch and Greenhill's corpses and yeah. destroy the, uh, the pamphlet. The yeah. And then, um, I think it is, uh, Captain Evans shows up on the comms to officially what surrender. What a motherfucker. To Yogg. And what a piece of shit this guy is, because Yogg, Evans basically makes this whole spiel about how, oh, Yogg, you're just a despot. 
you're how dare just... you falsely accuse us of being agents of the empire? Right, like how <laughs> you know how dare uh, you accuse us loyal soldiers of the FPA? We were just trying to get rid of the politicians. We were just trying to get rid of the corruption. And Yang has a good line here about how essentially corruption isn't just. I'm actually very glad he has this line here because for a while now I was never sympathetic to the NSMC, but. I think we all recognize that the FPA government is horribly corrupt and, you know, mm-hmm. kind of wondering when Yang would really kind of speak out about it. So Yang basically says here that corruption isn't just individual corruption, but the real corruption of democracy is the systematic destruction of free speech itself and yeah. the ability to criticize those who are corrupt. And with that is taken away, that is the true corruption of a democracy. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so the coup comes to an end. Yang lands and, uh, frees, uh, Bukok from house arrest, where we see Bukok dressed in his excellent three-star pajamas. <laughs> they look right. like pajamas to me. I think it's just a shirt. I know you say it's just a shirt, but also they kind of look like pajamas to me, and they also have I three know, stars right? on the shoulders. So I just like to believe that those are custom, custom pajamas that... Yeah. FPA admirals get, you so then you always know their rank even when they're asleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bucock's just like, oh yeah, I guess I should have listened to you a little more, more, a little more carefully. Maybe you should have, but you know, unfortunately, what's done is done. You know, it's uh, we get, you know, we we get really, you know, kind of, you know, it's just kind of that sad situation that Yang kind of speaks about itself, where he was forced to kill Admiral Greenhill, a man that was almost like a father to him. And for right. what? To save the life of none other than Job <sighs> fucking Trunit. What a motherfucker. Who is hanging out with the Earth Cult. Yeah, who, uh, they, uh, they uh, kept him hidden during the, yeah. uh, during the coup d'etat, except yeah. also, like... Weren't they kind of involved? Hmm. Wasn't the Earth Cult also kind of, in some ways, implicated in parts of the uprising that started yeah. this whole thing? Yes, of course. And, you know, obviously, I think we're in a situation where who is using who, Job Trunit and the Earth Cult. But for now, it seems the two are allied. Yep. And uh, got some good old Job Trunit uh, shakes Young's hand in front of the paparazzi. Young once again falls for the shaking hands with politicians trick, which, you know, maybe you have to do because of public appearances, but also you Come think on, by this Yang. point in the show, yeah, yeah, like you think Young would be better at avoiding these extremely <laughs> incriminating looking photos. Yeah, and we, we do instantly cut to Young washing his hands. Yes, excellent, excellent. Like, again, uh, let it be said, like, humor like the show sometimes. Yes. Yes, good good sense of humor because, yes, we see, we have a shot of Yang, you know, nervously shaking hands with Job Trunit and then immediately cutting to him washing his hands in the sink. <laughs> but uh, uh, more important than that is he gets news from Julian that someone very important wants to speak with him at Iserlone. And who other than our friend Murkatz, who has yep. successfully escaped from the Empire in the chaos of the Lipstadt, the fall of the Lipstadt League. Yeah. And uh, wants to speak with Yang Wenli, and Yang Wenli specifically. And, you know, we kind of get a bit of a conversation here at the end where, you know, Yang's cabin is like, well, can we trust him? 
It might be a trap. Right. You know, I mean, fuck the last prisoner exchange we did. I mean, look the look what that did to you know the FPA. Mm-hmm. But uh, Young thinks we can trust Mercats. You know, he, lays he brings out up some the, pretty decent reasons yeah, for why. Lays out some good reasoning that hey, if Mercats was actually trying to fuck us over, like th- it would be a better prepared. <laughs> yes, would have been better prepared for this. Like this is, he's a little too desperate, and you know, the way he's presenting himself is the way only somebody who is in a desperate rush would be, would, would be. So, mm-hmm. Young decides to take the risk and trust yep. Mercats because. As they say, you know, if we if the FPA does not get its shit together soon, Reinhardt yeah. will come destroy us all with great dignity and dreadful grandeur. <laughs> Which is the most Reinhardt fucking statement I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. Uh, uh, also, Shenkog just ordered an odd, like, forensic autopsy on ah uh, yes yes this good bit i forgot to mention yes shenkov kind of knows the score shenkov when he hears oh Greenhill killed himself is like hmm really now yeah let me uh let's get a forensics team on this shit because uh it's true you can't you can't tell like if somebody shot themselves oh totally totally by, like the I mean, angle of the bullet yeah. and stuff yeah and i mean you know I've played Persona 3 before. I know you can <laughs> technically kill yourself like that, but it's not common. So yeah. I have a feeling that will uh, pay dividends down the line. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and so that's kind of where we stop here with, you know, at episode 24 with Young and Reinhardt having both successfully retaken um, their respective countries. Yeah. Both coup d'etats have been put down. Kind of back yeah. to square one, just lots more people are dead. Yeah, I mean it's you know almost like, almost like the Battle of Armalitzer, almost like the battle at the very first two yeah. episodes of this show. I guess it's not quite right because there's new changes in leadership. Oh yes, like, right, I, mean, right I guess basically Lord Ruler at this point of the Empire. Oh, I mean, I think that's a thing, right? Like, and now Job Trinic has where... like even greater control over the government. Yes. Yeah, yeah sorry, it's. I think in many ways this show is about how, you know, for better or worse, the more things change, the more they stay the same. You know, it's still, it's still assholes in power. You know, it's just a lot of people dead now. More people dead now. A lot of good people are dead now. And it's, uh, it's interesting you know these these battles keep going on these these battles between the FPA and the and the empire keep happening and they keep having to reach some kind of equilibrium to prevent you know one side from just completely overtaking yeah. the other at least you know not yet anyways but mm-hmm. it does make you wonder where this is all going it it makes you wonder what right. all these status quo changes mean for the future and yeah and uh we're coming up on the end of Season one, yeah. So, of Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Yes, if if we were to divide Legend of the Galactic Heroes into traditional seasons, we have two episodes of this uh, season left: twenty five and twenty six. Right, at least according to Wikipedia, that's how this thing's set up. Indeed, indeed, and because of that, you know, because we are coming up on the end of the season, which man, that's I know, right? That's wild, man. Eight episodes of Legend of the Glorio Heroes. You know, yeah, we're, uh, 
you know, we ought to pat I, ourselves I, on the back a little bit. <laughs> I hear most okay. podcasts don't even make it to six. So. Yeah, so hey, we're already, you know, well ahead of that, you know. And because of that, yes. So because we're coming on, you know, coming on to the end of the season, so to speak, uh, we have a bit of an exciting announcement to make. Uh, the next episode of Legend of the Glory of Heroes is going to be a four-man special. Yay! That's right, folks. We somehow managed to convince other people at the Glorio blog <laughs> to watch Legend of the Galactic Heroes. And they also have thoughts. So, next episode, right. the first part of the podcast is going to be Eero and I, as usual. We're yep, going to be discussing about... episodes 25 and 26. Mm-hmm. And then, after that, we're getting the whole crew together, and we're going to have ourselves Team. a nice little yeah. chat. About Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Team Glorio USA. Yeah, Team Glorio USA is going to be talking about Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Going to air our thoughts. We're going to baselessly speculate about what's to come. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's look gonna be a long to one. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, prepare for the next one to maybe be a long one, not only because of the two separate parts, but also with just more people are going to be even more hot takes about Legend of the Galactic Heroes. You know, we got yep. some we got some real hot banger questions coming up, you know, like favorite woke line from Yang Wen Li. <laughs> is Yang Wen Li hot? Yes, who is the hottest guy in Legend of the Galactic Heroes? You know, the good best stuff. Husbando. Yes, who's the best husbando in Legend of the Galactic Heroes? Who's the best second in command? All the good can, stuff. Can you name everyone in this opening? Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting there. We're I'd getting say we're close. like, we're like uh, two-thirds. I'd say we're at a solid like 60%. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're getting better, but as soon as you get into like all those brown haired dudes in the middle, yeah. I think they all just kind of blur together personally. But <laughs> you know, with that said, I think that's gonna be a podcast. Yeah. So let's just do some uh some housekeeping as usual. You can find the podcast and the rest of our content at theglorioblog.com. You can follow us on Twitter at theglorioblog. You can listen to the podcast itself on iTunes, Podbean, the blog itself. Um, we also have, uh, yes, we also have it on YouTube. I wish I could give you guys a URL, but we don't have one because we don't have enough subscribers. So <laughs> if you just love, love, love our our Legend of the Galactic Heroes hot takes and riveting politics discussion. Then like, smash comment, that and subscribe. Li- yeah, yeah. Smash that like button. Double smash. No, don't double smash. Triple smash that subscribe button. That way you subscribe, unsubscribe, then subscribe again. Yep. Uh, and, what, there's uh, the bell icon or some shit? I don't know. Sure, sure. Fucking whatever. YouTube. I don't know how I don't know how YouTube works. Yeah. Uh, as always, you can watch Legend of the Galactic Heroes on High Dive. Soon Indeed. to become a part of Crunchyroll, apparently. I still don't know all <laughs> what, the details. Like on VRV but, or something. Yeah, I frankly Earth. that part of the podcast I kind of zoned out on because I didn't really understand <laughs> all the details, but it sounded pretty important. We're talking about the Glorio Chat podcast, our sister podcast, that can be found in the same feed. Yep. So give that a listen if you want to listen to us uh, have hot Talk takes. other anime. Other anime, yes. Other more recent anime. Yes. Anime that isn't 30 years old. Not more relevant anime, but, you know, certainly more recent, yes. And uh, I think that's everything. Uh, yeah. Iro, you have any uh, closing thoughts? Um, no, just uh, I'm... Can't believe we made it to a whole season already. I know it's like it's super exciting. Boy, we're like yeah, 
I think we're we're twenty percent through the show. Yeah, you know all those all those years ago when Legend of the Galactic (laughs) Heroes was just a twinkle in our eye. Sure. But uh, now we're making it happen. Yeah, twenty percent. Yeah. So as always, Eero, thank you for accompanying me on this journey. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you all for uh, listening to this podcast. And until next time, I'll see you all amongst the sea of stars.